Thank you very much. Am I on the air? Okay, good, okay. Uh, Ralph told me he was looking for flags, so I brought some along on my tie. I don't know if you can see them. I see somebody over there with a shirt full of flags, too. Just to remind us that there are a lot of different countries and people all around that need the world that need to hear the gospel. I'm going to be showing a PowerPoint as I'm speaking, and the pastor is telling me that the, uh, uh, the screen is very low, so hope you can see okay. If you can't, just reach over to the person in front of you and just push their head over a little bit so you can see through. Do I need to push any button to get this started? No, there we go. All right. And uh, our theme is the least, the last, and the lost. And you'll have to excuse my pronunciation now. I might be saying last instead of last. So you'll have to listen very carefully if you want to get the message. Well, Ralph told me that that's what you're going to be considering this for your mission conference, the least, the last, and the lost. And so I started thinking about it, and I thought, what does that have to do with us? Who are the least, the last, and the lost? Do we need to bother about them? Just like those people in the video there. Do we need to bother about other people that are the least, the last, and the last? Who are they? Well, I started thinking about it, and I came up with some, some questions that I needed to ask myself. And the first one was, who are the least and the last and the last? Do they have anything to do with us? Or we should, should we have anything to do with them? So the first question that came to me was, are they those who need to be reached with the gospel? Is that who we're talking about when we say the least, the last, and the last? Or are they those who are called to reach them? Well, yes, they are the people that need to be reached with the gospel. There are many, many people around the world that we're going to refer to as the least, the last, or the lost, and they need to hear the gospel. But there's another sense in which those of us who are called to reach them can be described as the least, the last, and the last. And we'll see that as we move along. Okay, so then I asked myself, what about the least? What do we mean by the least? Are they those who God thinks are the least? Well, the answer to that question is no, because God doesn't have any favorites. And he says in his word that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God wants everybody to hear the gospel. He wants everybody to have an opportunity of coming to repentance. So the question, answer to that question is no, it has nothing to do with what God thinks about who are the least. Well, another question is, are they those who the world thinks are the least? Ah, yes. You know, in every country we go to, we find that there's a major group of people, a major language group, and they have dominated other groups. They've subjugated them. And so if you don't belong to this major group, you are the ones that are the least in the country. You're way down on the social ladder. You have the hardest jobs to do for the least pay. You get all the dirty jobs to do, and people don't want to associate with you. In some countries, oh, that person brushed up against me. I better go home and take a shower. And, uh, and so there are people who are considered by others to be the very least. 
And yet, God says, those are the ones that I want to I want you to go out and tell the good news to. I've got some really good news for them. Well, are they those who think they are the least? And I think there are some people sitting right here. I don't know you personally, but there are some people sitting right here who think, I'm the least. What can I do? Leave it to somebody else just like the people in that video. All right, what about the last or the last? What about them? Who are they? Are they the last to be reached with the gospel? Yes, definitely. That's who we're going to be talking about today, the people who are the last to be reached. And again, in many countries, there are missionaries working who are reaching this people group and that people group and this people group and then there are some who get left behind and at gospel recordings we call them the tail enders because if there was a line of people waiting for something they'll be right at the tail end and they'd never get the gospel and after lunch we're going to have a skit and we'll be showing you something about these people who are the last and you'll see you'll get a better picture of who we are talking about. And then next question is, are they the last to go and reach them? Well, I'm sure you found this in your church because it's the same in every church. When somebody asks for volunteers, they say, who will volunteer to do the following? And then there's always certain people that jump up. Yes, I'll help, I'll help. And there's other people who are always the very last to offer. No, 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 I think I'll just let somebody else do it who's better than me, who's more qualified, who's whatever, and uh, or just not as lazy as me or whatever it might be, and I just let them do it. And so are we talking about those who, the last to be reached, or are they talking about the last people to go and reach them? Well, both. Now what about the lost are they those who are spiritually lost? Well, you sang this morning, Jesus saves. And you know, there's a lot of people in the world, if you sang that song to them, they say, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not lost. I know where I am. I live in this town and I, I know where my house is. I know where my work is. What do you mean I'm lost? They don't even know that they're lost spiritually. And you remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And he said, there's only one road, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and few there be that find it. So if there's people that are on a different road, they are lost, and they need to hear the good news that they can be switched onto the right road. Well, are they the lost? Are they those who have lost their desire to reach them? And I feel that there are some, some of us sitting in this church today who are so preoccupied with all kind of other things, things that are important, things that are urgent, things that are, take up our time, and we've just lost our desire to go out and reach those people or to be involved in the process of reaching those people with the lost. So who are the lost? The, are they the people out there or the people here? Good to think about, isn't it? Well, we're going to look this morning at the story of the lepers. 
and that's found in 2 Kings 6 and 7. I won't actually turn to it, but I would recommend that you, when, as soon as you've got an opportunity, you read that story. It's a very interesting story, and uh, it'll, it has a lot of lessons in it. And actually, there were four lepers, and in our picture here, I see uh, we have five lepers. Somebody else snuck into the picture there, but it's a story about four lepers that were living in the city of Samaria, and Samaria was being besieged. Uh, they'd been attacked by a different army, and the city was being besieged by the besieged by the Assyrians. And what they did in those days was, you know, every city had a nice big wall around it and big heavy doors. And when they saw the enemy coming, everybody would run inside. They'd close the doors, and they would be safe. But if they had if the army was big enough, they would say, huh, okay, we'll just camp here and starve them out. And that's what the Assyrians were doing. So there was a siege, and things looked very bad. As a matter of fact, they are very bad. They're so bad that the people are starving, and they're just going around trying to find food, fighting over it, and so forth, and they're doomed. They're lost. And they don't know what to do. The enemy is outside the gates. As soon as they go out to get food, they'll be nabbed. What can they do? Well, Elisha, the prophet, comes along and he says, you know what? I'm prophesying that tomorrow we are going to have a big victory service. And we'll have enough food for everybody. And so the king's officer laughed at him. He said, ha, that couldn't even happen if God opened the windows of heaven. And so this man scoffed at the prophecy of Elijah. For that is actually what happened. If you read the story later, you'll find out all the details. Well, here's the time to, for the lepers to enter. And we've got four of them there. You'll notice that they have just a temporary little shelter because lepers were always thrown out of the city. We don't want you in here because you, we don't want to catch your disease. And so they had to just make do with something outside the city. And they were the least, they were the last, and they were the lost. They were the least. They were right at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. And uh, people didn't want to get near them. Matter of fact, uh, they had to have a little bell and ring it and say, unclean, unclean, and people would move away from them. And they were the last to get any food. They just got scraps that were left over. And they had just lost all hope of ever being well again or back into society again because that was a terrible disease to have. And so... The lepers are between a rock and a hard place. You see, here is Samaria, the city, and you see the plan of the city, and there's a wall around it, and all the people are safely, so to speak, inside the wall. Although they're starving, at least they're uh, temporarily safe. And then over on the other side are the Assyrians, and they are just sitting, waiting for their opportunity to pounce. But in between them are the lepers. See, the lepers have been thrown out of the city and they're stuck between a rock and a hard place, literally between the Assyrians and the Sumerians. And so they come up with a plan. 
They've got, to, they've got to do something. They can't just sit there. What is their plan? They're going to go over to the enemy camp. Well, that's a kind of a crazy idea. Why should they go to the enemy camp? Well, they figure it. What have they got to lose? The Sumerians won't let them back into the city. And if they just sit where they are, they're going to get caught in the crossfire eventually. So why not take a chance and go over to the enemy camp? And so they start rehearsing all their speeches. They're going to throw themselves down at the mercy of the Assyrians. But when they get there, a surprise awaits them. Well, what was the surprise? The camp is deserted. There's nothing there. Well, there's a lot there, actually, but there's no people there. The enemy has left all their stuff behind all their weapons, all their food, all their clothes, all their nice luxury items and their horses and their donkeys and everything all sitting there, but the people have gone. They go from tent to tent. Anybody here? Anybody here? Nobody. What a surprise that here they are ready to surrender and there's nobody to surrender to. So they ask themselves, how did this happen? Well, the Bible tells us in Second Kings, it tells us this, For the Lord had caused the army of the Aramaeans, or that's another name for the Syrians, to hear the sound of chariots and the sound of horses, even the sound of a great army. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp, just as it was, and they fled for their life. They were gone. So what do these guys do? Well, they do what we would have done. <laughs> these people, are, remember, they've been starving, and so they go from tent to tent, they enter one tent, and they eat, and they drink, and they carry out silver and gold and clothes, and then they think, we better hide this stuff because someone else is going to come later on and try to claim it, and... Uh, and then they go into another tent and they do the same thing and they're having a great time. And all of a sudden, wait. <laughs> wait. Stop. Think. What's happening? This is what they said. They said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. Let us go and tell the king's household. Well, they we are not doing right. This is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. Wow, what a thought. And so they had to have a little conference between themselves and decide what to do. Okay, so this is what, this is what they could have done. First of all, they could have just forgotten about the other people. They were so busy, and matter of fact, that's what actually happened originally. They were so busy gathering the gold and the silver and drinking and eating and having a great time, they could have forgotten all about the other people. And you know, that's our problem today too. We are often so caught up in the materialistic things of this world that we forget there are people out there who are starving for God's word. They could have ignored God's part. But you know, they, they recognized that. They, even the person who wrote the scripture, they must have told them, you know, this is what God did. God caused this miracle to happen. 
And then they recognized another thing. If you read the story a bit further, they said, you know, if we don't go back and tell God is going to hold us accountable, something bad could happen to us if we're just so selfish and trying to uh, get our own stuff together. And so uh, they, they thought about that. And do we think about it? Or are we just so busy uh, with our own lives, we don't take God into account? You know, they could have decided that this was justice. I mean, after all, you know, those people threw us out of the city, right in the middle of the siege, and they just left us there. We could have been killed. So they didn't care about us. So why should we bother about them? You know, there's a lot of people out there who need the gospel. And we look at them, and some of them are kind of ugly. I mean, I don't just love them all. You don't just look at them and say, oh, they're so nice. You know, but God loves them. And we could just say, well, that's their own problem. Or they could have decided that it was not their responsibility. You know, they, they could have thought, you know, we've got soldiers here in the city, and that's their job. I mean, that's what we pay taxes for, isn't it? So the soldiers could go out, and they're going to send out scouts. They'll find out the camp is empty. So let's not bother. Let's do our own thing right now. And they could have decided to do that, but they didn't. And that's a problem with us too, isn't it? In that video there, he said, leave it to the missionaries, leave it to the pastor, leave it to the elders. Yeah, that's what we pay them for. Let them do the stuff and we'll just sit back. I'll write a check occasionally and that'll take care of my part in the thing. Yeah. Okay, you know, they could have felt very insignificant. You know, they could have said, we're the least, we're the last, we're the last why should we do anything? We can't do anything. We can't even get into the city. They won't let us in. And even if they do let us in, nobody's going to talk to us. Nobody's going to listen to us. So what's the point? And then they thought, you know, even if we do tell them, they'll think it's a trick. So why bother? Well, have we ever thought about that too? And missions, you know, why bother? I can't do anything anyway. I don't understand those people's language. I don't understand anything. So I'll let somebody else do it. But they said, let's tell the king. And they did have a hard time. They went up to the wall and they called up and somebody listened to them and somebody went to the king and the king did say, oh, that's a trick. <laughs> but after a lot of uh, ch checking out, they finally found out that it was true. And just as Elisha had promised, they had a terrific celebration and they went from famine to feast the next day. And a lot of that had to do with those insignificant lepers who felt could have felt, I'm nothing. You know, the last and the least and the lost need to know some things. They need to know that the enemy has been defeated. Jesus did that at the cross. The war has been won. It's been one when Jesus rose again from the dead. They need to know that they don't need to live in fear and death. And you know, there are people around the world, they might call themselves Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists or whatever, but really they're animists. And animists are people who fear evil spirits. 
and they worship evil spirits and all their lives they are afraid. It's like they're in a war and they need to know that God has won the war over those evil spirits and they can, they can get victory in Jesus. And they, they need to know that God has provided salvation and they need to know that there is plenty of spiritual food to eat. But there's people around the world who have absolutely no idea about that. They're still like the Samaritans in the city with the doors locked in fear, not knowing that the thing is over. Well, you know, God is calling people to go and, and tell them about this. But everybody has some reason why they can't go. Or <laughs> I might say some excuse why they, may, they can't go. Well, let's just look at some of the people in Scripture very quickly. Moses, in Exodus, God says, I want you to be my spokesman. He says, wait a minute, I have a speech impediment. I can't do it. Well, God says, I'm going to use you anyway. And then we look at Gideon in the book of Judges. And the angel came and says, mighty man of valor. He says, I think you've got the wrong guy. He says, I'm just a farmer, and a poor farmer, I don't know anything. And God says, I'm going to use you anyway. And uh, you remember Abraham and Sarah, God says, you know, I'm going to make you the founder of a great nation. And what did they say? Well, they laughed and they said, we're the least, we're the last. It's too late for us now. You better find somebody else. God says, no, 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 I'm going to use you anyway, and your descendants are going to be so many, you won't be able to count them. And then David, remember they were looking for a king, and Saul went along to Jesse's house, and he says, bring all your sons in front of me, and I'm going to choose one of them to be the king. And he brought the handsomest, the tallest, the strongest, the smartest, all in front of him. Samuel says, no, that's not the one. Isn't there anybody else? Oh, Joseph. That, not Joseph. David. <laughs> I'm on my wrong story here. Yeah? Uh, David, he's, we forgot all about him. He's out there, but don't bother about him. I want to see him. And as soon as he came, Samuel said, ha, that's the guy that God has chosen. And you know, you may be, feel the same. Everybody else thinks, no, he can't do anything. I can't do anything. God says, you're the one I've chosen. And, and God's going to give you the... Well, Rahab had some problems. God used her. I think he talked to her about her lifestyle too afterwards. <laughs> and Esther was the same thing. She said, you know, I'm the queen, but what can I do? And she tried and God used her. A lot of interesting stories there. And we go in the New Testament. Remember, the angel came to Mary and says, you're going to be the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. And she could have said, you know, I'm just a poor peasant girl. I think you better find somebody else. But she didn't. She said, Lord, use me anyway. And then Peter and Andrew, Jesus says to them, I'm going to make you fishers of men. They could have said, you don't understand. We are just poor fishermen. Find somebody else. No, they said, Lord, use us anyway. And then there's Matthew. You know, he is a tax collector and a sinner, and Jesus changed his whole life, and he wrote the first gospel. And then there's the disciples. Other people said about them, oh, they're unlearned and ignorant men. 
And God says, you know, I'm going to make them founding members of the church. And did you know the church is bigger than IBM? The church is bigger than Microsoft? And these unlearned and ignorant men were founding members. Wow, great, isn't it? What God can do with people. Now, in modern times, there's a lot of people that God has used. A person by the name of Gladys Aylward, you know, uh, she went along to a big mission organization. She says, I'd like to be a missionary. They said, oh, you're too small. You're the least. <laughs> she was very small. She was very short. They said, we can't use you. She says, well, God has called me to China. So she went over there and she did some fantastic things for the Lord, or the Lord enabled her to do some fantastic things. Joy Ridderhoff, who was the one that founded Gospel Recordings, or Global Recordings, we now call it, we, uh, Ralph and his family and myself and, and the Youngs worked for, with them. And uh, she was in ill health. She didn't have anybody supporting her. She, she thought she couldn't do anything. She started a little group called Gospel Recordings. And now we praise God that there are 5,600 different languages in which people are hearing the good news of the gospel through that little organization that this sick lady started. Chuck Colson, he's jailed, he's a politician, he's in disgrace. What can he do? He starts a jail ministry. And you could go on and on. And there's people like William Carey and D.L. Moody that God used. And they were just ordinary people. And then we had a lot of ordinary people that work at our organization. And I just went through a list and I thought, you know, one was a school teacher, one was a secretary, one was an Alaska rancher, one was a, a retired officer from the Navy, one guy worked in the weather office on a ship, and another person was a landscaper, and another person was a farmer, and another person was a retired missionary. Uh, 65 years old could have said well I'm, uh, it's time for me to quit another one made swimming pools and another guy was a car salesman and God called him and said okay I know what you've done and you may think you can't do this but I'm going to use you anyway in missions and we praise God for that so we can ask ourselves quickly how can we do this what's, what's God's part and what's our part so you'll be happy to know that you don't have to do everything. You're sitting there thinking, well, what can I do? Well, God has done most of it, first of all. That's nice to know. What's God's part? God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. Okay, now before we misunderstand that verse, what it means is God has chosen the things that the world out there thinks are foolish. And he's chosen. So somebody, somebody out there may say, ah, who are you? Who do you think you are? Well, God has chosen you. And it says not many mighty are chosen and not many noble. So if you think you're mighty or noble, maybe you want to reevaluate that because it says not many mighty or noble are called. So it would be better if you think, well, I'm not very much because you have a much better chance of being called. And what is God's part? And don't try to do it for him. I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. That's what Jesus said. And you know, the first time that I read that, I felt very downcast because I thought, 
It says you can do nothing. So, oh my word, that's terrible to think I can do nothing. But then when I read it again, it said, without me, you can do nothing. So therefore, with me, you can do something. And so that's all we've got to do. We've got to remember that Jesus did it, and he wants to do it for us. And so this is what you may say. You may say, God can't use me because, fill in the blanks, I'm the least, I'm the last, I'm the last. God can't use me. Or other people may say, God can't use you, <laughs> you, <laughs> because maybe we don't know what they're saying about it, or maybe you think you know what they're thinking about you, and they may be saying, you're the least, God can't use you. But, as we've seen through the scriptures, God says, I will use you anyway. Isn't that great? To think that God can do it, I don't have to. So what's our part? Well, it says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Pray. That's the one thing we've got to do. We've got to come to the Lord of the harvest. He's the one who knows where everybody can be. It doesn't mean he's going to send everybody to China. He may want to send somebody to, to Mecula, Murrieta, somebody else to Africa, somebody else to another place. Well, he knows where they are. So you've got to come to the Lord of the harvest, pray. And it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice in Romans. Present. In other words, I'm coming and saying, Lord, I'm presenting myself. Here I am. Here's my credentials. Not very good, but I'm presenting myself. That's all you've got to do. And then leave it to him. So, pray to the Lord. Present yourself for service. And then prepare to be used. If you can say, you know, Lord, I'm prepared. I, I, you need to change me. You need to give me the power. You need to do everything. But I'm ready and I'm waiting and I'm prepared to do whatever you have me to do. And God's not going to ask you to do something you can't do. So pray, present, and pray. Be prepared. Now he has a poor excuse. I'm just a... Well, I hope that you'll never be able to use that excuse again. And here's a good example. When I was in the Philippines one time, I, was, I had to stay in this guest house, missionary guest house, and there was a lady there who was very excited about her job. I could see that. And she just was so, it just seemed like she was enjoying herself. She did a great job too. And so I said to her, how did you come to be doing this job? Because she was from the USA. She wasn't a Filipino. How did you come to do this job? She said, I went to a meeting and a missionary said, I want everybody to bow your head and I want you to pray and I want you to say, Lord, I am available for whatever you want me to do. And she said, I did that and my husband did that. Neither knowing that the other was doing it. And then we went home and we talked about it and found that we'd both done this. Lord, I'm available. And she said, a few days later, the phone rang. And it was the director of a mission. And he said, you know, in the Philippines, we have a guest house and the person that's leading it had to leave. And she said, 
I really am praying for a couple to come out and do this. And as I was praying, your name came to my mind. And they said, Lord, that's what you want us to do. And they went out there and they did a fantastic job because not because they were doing it, not because they were feeling guilty or somebody else made them do it, but they were presented themselves to the Lord and he assigned them to that. So that's what we want to do. We're just going to take a minute here and we're going to do that. We're going to pray. We're going to present ourselves and we're going to just say, Lord, I'm prepared. Let's just bow our heads for a minute and pray to the Lord of the harvest. He's the one He's the one that knows you. He knows what you can do. He knows what you can't do. He knows what gift he's given you. And he knows just where the best place is for you to serve him, which might be right here. So just tell the Lord, I want to present myself to you, Lord.